The good news is that you don't need to sit down and read the Bible from cover to cover in one massive chunk. All you need to do is read it one bit at a time. G'day everyone, my name is Mark Schroeder and welcome to Schroeder's Bible Bits. I'm a college chaplain and my job is to teach children and youth the wonderful truths that are found in God's Word, the Bible. I speak at chapels, at youth services, at church services, I teach at kids clubs and lunchtime Bible groups. Uh, At all of these places, I always teach from the Bible because I'm convinced that from the Bible, we get to learn about God and how He has loved us and how He has saved us through Jesus. Tune in and continue to learn about Jesus for yourself, not in one chunk, but bit by bit. Hey everyone, this is the third talk for the Staff Professional Development Week um, as part of our series called Back to Basics. Uh, this is on Genesis chapter 1 to 3 and in this talk um, we talk about the tragic reality of sin um, and how it brings the curse from the king. Um, yeah, so remember, keep in mind that this is the third of a series, and so if you haven't heard the first two, uh, it will be good for you uh, to go back and listen to the first two talks that I've given um, from this part of the Bible. Enjoy. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us today to listen to you and your word. Uh, help us to sit um, somewhat uncomfortably with the important truths of your word and help us to come to terms with them this morning. Um, help us not to disregard your word, but we pray that you would help us to listen to it closely. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, so this week in our morning Bible devotions, we have seen that God is the creating king. He's the one who has made and who rules all things. Um, God has intentionally and purposefully made everything. Um, we have seen that God in his grace, he has intentionally even made humans, mankind, Um, mankind who is the apex, the pinnacle of his creation, humans who are made in his image to rule and subdue creation under his ruling authority. Now, as we move on in this book, we come to chapter 2 of Genesis. And Genesis chapter 2 zooms in on this humanity moment, um, which we've already read in chapter 1 from verse 27. uh, And it repeats the fact that humans have been made. Um, but it builds upon their place in creation as image bearers. Yet the focus in chapter 2 is now on the way that he intentionally makes humanity male and female, Um, how he intentionally makes them to live together in the paradise garden called Eden. Um, In chapter 2, we see that God gives people vocation. He gives them, in chapter 2, verse 15, Um, a job to do, work and care in the garden. Um, He gives them a permit, a permit that they are free to eat from any tree in the garden in chapter 2, verse 16. But at the same time as that permit, he does give them a prohibition that although they can eat from every tree in the garden, there is one tree that they must not eat from, that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when they do... If they disregard this prohibition, if they disregard the very word of God, well, God says that they will surely die in chapter 2, verse 17. Together as humans, um, together as man and woman, Adam and Eve live in this beautiful garden. They live together as husband and wife. They're equal in nature, and yet we see that they are very different. One is not more valuable than the other. 
God makes both man and woman equal, and yet God is also happy for them to have very different roles and different modes of authority. Although they were to work and to live and to rule in unity, they were to do so with difference, we notice in chapter 2. Together they bear the image of God in his oneness. Together and yet each in their own role and established order from God. And so here in this garden scene, we see devotion. We see devotion to God and devotion to each other. They have together, they have purpose and meaning and a role to play in God's world. And what's cool, what's exciting is that there is no shame in this. There's no shame anywhere. And to illustrate this, the Bible even tells us that they were naked and yet they were completely okay with it. There was no shame. Um, This moment in the Bible, though, it's quite familiar to us, isn't it? Now, this story of Adam and Eve, it's even familiar with our family and friends who don't hold to the same Christian beliefs as us. I mean, this is the sort of thing you might even see in an episode of The Simpsons. But actually, this is quite a beautiful picture. And I think that it speaks to the splendor in God's creation, the beauty that God creates in order and in flow. We see God and his relationship to man, man and his relationship to woman, man and woman in their relationship to all of creation. Together they live and they work in this very good way, just as God intended. But how does this work out? Well, we know how this works out, don't we? And because this is so familiar to us, we know how this story continues and we know that this story does not end very well. It's not a good ending. Nevertheless, let's zoom in now. Let's go ahead and let's read Genesis chapter 3. And we're actually going to read all of chapter 3. I'm going to share it up here on the screen with you. Um, This is the handout as well that I gave to you uh, last night. Maybe you've got that printed out. Um, So maybe follow along there or follow along on the screen as I read it to you right now. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 24. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God who was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. 
You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flashing sword, a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of life. Here's this reading, it's familiar, but let's zoom in and let's just replay some of this out together now. And we're first introduced here in chapter 3 to the craftiest of all the animals, the serpent. And later on in the Bible, we actually discover in Revelation that this serpent is actually Satan. And he engages the woman Eve in a sneaky conversation, a conversation that attacks God's good and providing word. Um, the word of God that has so far brought all things into being. The word of God that has provided and sustained everything so far. The word which so far has only been good. Surely this crafty little serpent does not stand a chance. But sadly, no. Eve, she first of all minimized the freedom that God had given her. And then she adds strictness to his word. That simply wasn't there. And finally, she softens God's word in regard to the certainty of death, should there be a disregard of God's word. And so Eve leaves herself completely open to this crafty lie of the serpent. How tragic that she had so quickly forgotten about her identity, which is wrapped up in who she is as an image bearer of the creator God. How tragic, tragic that she fell for the lie that she would be divine, that she could be morally autonomous, that she could live her own way. It's here in this moment that we wish that we actually saw the world's very first nudie run. We should have seen a buff-coloured blur jump to the side, to the side of her husband, Adam, who should have actually stepped forward in this moment to uphold the good word of God. But no, Adam, he just stood there. Passive, watching, doing nothing, sort of even waiting to see, will there even be a consequence if we eat from this tree, if, if she eats that fruit? Can we actually rise up here and do the very thing that we were specifically told not to do? Sadly, Eve listens to the serpent. She takes the fruit and she eats. Sadly, Adam listens to the woman. He is right there too and he also takes the fruit and he eats it. And do you notice that no one, no one at all listens to God? Everything is turned upside down. Humanity falls from the pinnacle to the pit. 
from the pinnacle of innocence and intimacy into the pit of guilt and estrangement. From a time of being naked with no shame in chapter 2 verse 25 to now being naked and needing ridiculous fig leaves to sew together to hide their shameful bits. Adam and Eve that day, they didn't die, yet their constant communion with God underwent death, didn't it? Never before had Adam and Eve needed to hide from God. But now, rather than joyfully receive the sound of the footsteps as God walked in the cool of the day among them, Adam and Eve run and they hide. How pathetic to quickly forget that they are hiding from God And actually, we know that nothing is hidden from God's sight. This pathetic behavior, however, doesn't stop, does it? Because as we read on, we see this game, this blame game continues. So when asked by God what has happened, man blames Eve. In fact, man has the nerve to blame even God, for it was he, after all, who gave him this woman in the first place. What nerve from the man. He's essentially making the suggestion that a better God wouldn't have done this, wouldn't have put this woman in the garden with him. But it doesn't stop there though, does it? The woman, she doesn't accept the blame either. And she goes on even to blame the serpent. And so then after this blame game, this shifting of the blame flows through the text, we then see God come forward and God brings a curse. A curse from the king. God rightly holds his creation to account and he passes judgment in reverse order, first to the serpent, then to the woman, and then to the man. And as we read this, surely you see that this is hard hitting. Now to the serpent, the serpent would be cursed and cast out from the harmony of the garden more than any other creature in creation. For seeking to exalt himself above humanity, the serpent would take on the most humiliating position in all of creation. And we see that in the description of what the curse means for the serpent. He, he will now crawl on his belly and he would eat dust. And finally, for the moment with the serpent, there will be a day when the serpent will be finally crushed. To the woman, her primary role as wife and mother will be challenging and out of order. The word in that, in that part of the Bible, it says her desire will be for her husband. That word desire is the same word that God uses to warn Cain for the desire that is crouching at his door. The desire to kill his brother. Eve now has that same desire for her husband. This is a word about death. Her desire would be to rule over Adam in a deathly way in an order and in a way which is actually outside of the original order of Genesis 2. Don't read this desire of some beautiful, romantic, heartthrob desire. Oh, isn't it lovely that Eve's desire, her passion was burning for Adam. No, this is a desire of death. And finally to Adam. For all of his days, until the day he dies, until the day he returns to the dust of the ground, he would need to endure the cursed creation. A cursed creation which would not produce, which would not bless so easily. His work in God's world in creation is now going to be toilsome so that the ground would produce thorns and thistles, not just bountiful fruit and vegetables that are pleasing to the eye and good for food. Being an image bearer, 
Work was supposed to be good. Relationship was supposed to be good. Creation was supposed to be good. Humans were made to work and rest in a good way like God. But now sin has changed everything. Work dominates. Rest becomes lazy and self-gratifying idleness. Relationships become hard. Life becomes difficult. Even the good and the exciting bits like having children becomes a challenge. Do you see here that everything changes because of sin? Death even comes to an animal so that coverings can be made for humans. People are banished from the tree of life and so they can no longer live forever. As we read on, we see that humans are kicked out of the garden and they're made to work the ground outside of Eden. Not only are they locked out of the garden, but they are even guarded from it by this mighty heavenly being. Life is over. In this moment, life is over and death has come. There has been a disregard here for God's word. And so Adam and Eve, man and woman... Mankind have fallen from the pinnacle to the pit. The ground has risen up quickly to meet them. This is a sad day. This is a tragic day. And yet, this is an important day in the history of humanity. We need to come to terms with this day. In all its muck, in all its filth, in all its heartbreak, we need to sit here for a bit We need to understand the reality of what this passage means for all people. We need to sit here and understand the reality of this passage for you, for me. This moment in chapter 3 is a moment which actually needs to shape the way that we view the world, how we view ourselves and how we view others. You see, the world is a product of the curse. In all creation, there is no one who is righteous. There's no one who does right. We have all fallen from the pinnacle to the pit, just like Adam and Eve. We are all sinful. We are all dust, and so to dust we will return. We are all sinful at birth, and our nature is to continue to sin. Understand that we are not born mostly good. The New Testament puts it like this in Romans chapter 5, and this is written on your handout. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. See, everybody. See, as well as that, in Romans chapter 3, verse 9 to 18, the Bible says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What we learn today, everybody, is really hard to hear. But even so, the Bible is clear, isn't it? The Bible is clear and it tells us that we all sinned in Adam. 
We all sinned in Adam when Adam sinned. The Bible teaches that because of this original, original sin in Genesis 3, that we all entered this world dead and depraved. Sin covers every part of our existence so that we hide from God rather than seek him. And what's difficult to hear is that this carries very real consequence. The Bible tells us that the consequence is death. In Romans 6.23, The wages of sin, the cost of sin, is death. In an instant, the original couple pass from life to death, from sinless to sin, from harmony to alienation, from trust to distrust, from ease to dis-ease. Adam and Eve, as our parents, were genetically, historically and theologically every man and every woman. And so when we see them here in this text, so we see us. Adam and Eve here are a model of us all. Today in Genesis 3, we see sin and the curse from God due to sin. We need to think carefully about sin here. We must come to terms with it, both personally and professionally. So listen and consider this. It's important to note that sin isn't traced back to God here, but it's traced back to humans. Sin is a product of human behavior and human disobedience. God is not to blame for your sin. Sin is disregard for God. It's not just breaking a rule. It's about ignoring God, the king who blesses and directs. Um, Sin is a bid for independence. Uh, To go it alone rather than being dependent on him for everything. Sin is when we go it alone, therefore, and, and live independently from God. And so sin is when we end up reaping anxiety and shame and fear and bondage and alienation and judgment. Sin is when we cut ourselves loose from life. Um, Sin is when we conceal what is wrong and actually treat it as if it is right. Sin ruins relationships with humans. Sin ruins relationships with creation. Sin ruins relationship with God. Sin grows and continues and it spreads. Sin is why bad things happen. Sin carries disaster. Disaster both physically, relationally and spiritually. We must all realize that sin is everything that is wrong with this world. Everything that is wrong with all of us. The great prophet, Colin Buchanan, you know him? I think he really puts it right when he said, sin is the baddest sickness in all the world. Sin is even worse than coronavirus. Sin currently infects every single human on the face of the whole planet. We need to come to terms with this personally because this sin affects you. But we must also come to terms with it professionally. As people who work in a school, we need to think carefully about sin. And so in one simple little question, let me help you to consider sin professionally. Let me ask, in light of what we have learnt today, do you teach little saints or do you teach little sinners? Don't fall for the lie. Don't get sucked into what the world says and think that we are teaching students who are mostly good. 
That is biblical heresy. And we have seen today that it's simply not true. So don't tell kids what the world tells kids about themselves. Don't tell kids to live out their dreams. Don't tell kids to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. Don't tell kids to do whatever makes them happy or what only brings them joy. Don't tell kids that career success is all fulfilling or that you can make yourself happy or life is an individual journey. Don't tell kids even to follow your passions because we are sinful human beings. How can we tell little sinners to follow their dreams? We are sinful human beings. How can we tell little sinners to listen to their conscience? After all, Our conscience is only as good as the shaping work that has gone into our conscience. All this career success is fulfilling. All this I can make myself happy stuff is all complete balderdash and nonsense. Instead, we need to go and tell kids that they desperately need help. Tell kids that they desperately need God's word in their lives. We need to help kids to make the word of God the very center of their existence so as to shape their conscience and to motivate their dreams on what God wants for them. Consider what happened in Eden when people disregarded the words of God. Maybe also consider the words of Moses. Moses, when he finishes writing the Torah and the law for God's people, he sings this big fancy song at the end of Deuteronomy. And then in Deuteronomy 32, verses 46 to 47, he says these two little cool verses. He says to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. They are your life. What's great about these words is I can't help but think about Jesus, the word. Jesus, the word who says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Broughton Staff, I admit that this is a hard part of the Bible to hear. And I was nervous this morning to bring this message to you. Even though it's familiar to us, even though we know about sin. But it was hard for me to write. And even now I can't help but want to push on now and to land this talk, of course, with the beautiful Saviour, Jesus Christ. However, I'm convinced that we need to sit here for a while. We need to sit here in the muck of sin so that we would come to terms with just how mucky and horrible sin is. And hopefully we would be motivated not only to just consider our own sinfulness, but also we would be motivated to help people, to help students and families here at Broughton to find a life out of their sin. So literally, I'm going to finish and I encourage you to sit for five minutes, to sit to pray, to consider what we have learnt and what we've been reminded here about sin. But of course, if you know the rest of the story, in the quietness of your mind, give thanks to God for Jesus. Jesus, the Word, who has come to bring life. Uh, Let's pray and then I'll leave you to it. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, this is a hard word to hear. Um, Even though we know how the story ends, it is hard to hear that we are fallen and that we are not righteous and that we are sinners. 
And Lord, please motivate us by this truth that we have learnt today um, to fall on our knees before you. Um, Please motivate us in our professional life um, to point out to people that they are in need of Jesus the Saviour. Help us to wrestle with this reality of sin so that we would be motivated for your work here in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can get in contact with me via Twitter at MRKSchroeder or on the Anchor app, you can actually leave a voice message. I'd love you to do that and I might include it in the next podcast. Catch you later.